All right, all right. Church family, I'm going to begin today. I'm going to read some quick scripture. Uh, we only have five verses today, a short passage, but there's a lot we can unpack from it, and it's uh, pretty interesting stuff, to say the least, that the Lord has for us today. So I'm going to begin and reading these scriptures, and then we'll, we'll backtrack it a bit. So if you'll join me, uh, chapter 15, we're now into, of the, uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to read verse 1 through verse 5, and it'll be on our screen as we read together. And that says this, <clears throat> some men came down from Judea. And began to teach the brothers. They said this, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way, By the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Let's pray about that before we talk about it. God, today we thank you for your word. May your word speak loudest. May your word be what directs us and may we understand it. Ultimately, Father, may the principles that we see and the promises that you have for us in your word today. Father, may that be uh, the thing we need to hear the assurance that we needed to have. Above all, Father, may your spirit guide us in our understanding of your love for us, that your love is far greater than anything this world may offer. So today, Father, I pray you speak through me. You let us have receptive hearts so that your word uh, is evident and understood. And Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. One of my... uh, I like watching movies. I'm, I, I, I like some. Uh, I like several different types of movies, but the one type of movie that I always find myself uh, uh, drawn towards is a hero type movie, right? Where there's a hero theme in it. Most movies anymore are like this, um, but some aren't. I, I'm not a fan of the horror movies or the um, scary movies per se. I'm not a fan of that. I don't like torturing myself and putting myself in situations where my heart races for no reason. So I stay away from that. All right? And it, you can think less of me if you want, but I prefer Disney Pixar type flicks, where at the end of it, I feel happy and joyful. Not where I'm going home and wonder if I'm going to pee the bed the night after I watch a movie. Some people are, might be different than me, but I like uh, good, feel good movies hero-based movies, right? And uh, I find myself drawn to those, and I really like the hero-based movies. And most uh, heroic narratives have um, different scenes that we see and different types of people along the journey of it, different, uh, different character schemas is what they call them, that you'll see the hero, uh, you'll see the antagonist, you'll see the, uh, the trickster along the path, you'll see someone that is... Um, that is also called a threshold guardian in just about, uh, just about every one of a hero narratives. A person in these movies is a threshold guardian 
I put a, uh, got a picture of some of these, like uh, a threshold guard. Uh, who's not seen Frozen? All right, I don't just, we like each other then. I've only seen it about 57 times. It's okay, I've little girl. That little monster that she creates up there. I don't know what his name is. Who knows his name? Okay, I don't know. Anyway, this is a threshold guardian because now this, this giant is in the way of their journey towards um, the, the purpose of their journey and this, this giant being in the way. It's not really an enemy. It's not really uh, on their side. It's just a hurdle that they have to surpass in order to be successful on their journey. It could also be not just a person, a character that the, the hero faces, but it could be uh, an obstacle that they have to overcome. Um, and don't judge me again, but in the uh, Kung Fu Panda movie, um, there's the, uh, oh shoot, Master Shifu is his name. I've got four kids. I'm allowed to use references of cartoons all the time. Um, and he, get, he makes this, uh, the panda, Poe, uh, go through this horrific training where he did not want to. He wanted to quit multiple times, but he didn't quit. And because of the training, it was character-based training more than anything, it enabled him to fulfill the, the goal at the end of it and defeat the enemy because of the training that he had went through. If he didn't have to overcome that hurdle, then he wouldn't have been prepared to defeat the enemy in the end. In all of these, in all of these hero-based flicks that you watch, and you can think of any of them in your own minds, in your own contexts, um, most of you probably don't watch cartoons all day long, movies like I do, uh, it's okay. I, I mean, that's my context because I've got children. Some of you might, the Avengers movies or whatever. If you think in those scenes, there is this one or multiple different scenarios that this happens, right? Um, let me think of a more mature type movie. Go to the next picture, John. For instance, is there not another one? Oh. I had a good example of a more mature picture that was uh, uh, Finding Nemo. <laughs> and uh, Bruce, the shark, was one of the uh, threshold guardians that he had to overcome. Okay, anyway. I had it set up, and I'm sorry, John. I thought I, I, thought I set that up right. <laughs> At any rate, this journey, uh, that these, these hero journeys, they have to overcome these obstacles. Whatever it is, you, you, uh, any typical Hollywood scripts that are hero-based, you're going to see these different characters that have to be in there in order for them to be even qualified to be turned into a movie, uh, good enough to be a movie <coughs> by script writers' uh, standards. At any rate, this falls directly in line with where we are today because Paul and Barnabas, they're, at these, they're like heroes in this scene. This missionary journey they've been on, right, for the, the, the past several weeks we've been talking about them, they've been on this heroic journey. They've been, they've been facing battles left and right. They have been flogged. They have been um, stoned to death almost. They thought they had killed Paul. Uh, they've been ran out of town and hated and mocked. And, but they did it for the purpose of the advancement of the church, the health of the church, the ultimately the success of the church that now is thriving in this city of Antioch. 
You remember from this scene, if you've missed the past few weeks, if you remember from this scene, <clears throat> they started in the church in Antioch, in Caesarea, right? And the Holy Spirit told them, hey, you guys are doing good stuff right here. We're going to send you out to share the good news. And, that's, and so Paul and Barnabas and a guy named John Mark who fell off early on, they were all called by the Holy Spirit to go and share the good news. And they started traveling to these towns. Ultimately, most of these towns were Jewish uh, and not, not as heavily Gentiles. So when they sh- would share the news of Jesus, it was hard to swallow. <clears throat> but they did it anyway because they were on a mission. They had a hero's heart. And they were willing to take whatever would be thrown at them along the journey. And they had faced several obstacles, but now they've gotten back to uh, their checkpoint where they had started back to Antioch, and now they're facing this big giant that they have to defeat. We're going to see how big this is, and and this this giant that they have to defeat, uh, it starts off in the very first verse, and we're going to talk about it as we read through the scripture. It said, some men, in verse (coughs) 1... Excuse me. <clears throat> Some men had came, came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. So these men that had came down from Judea, um, these were Jews, and they had also been called Judaizers, or their intent was to go and spread the news about, or to, to convert Gentiles into Jews. To, so to take... Non-Jewish people, their job was to go to them and say, hey, these are the customs, the traditions, and the laws that you should follow if you want to be right with God. That was their purpose. They, had, they were like missionaries in a way as well. But they came down uh, to teach the brothers. And they said, here's what they said, while they were in Antioch, so they're back in uh, they're, they're back at Antioch. This is Paul and Barnabas are there, and they're, they're at the successful church. And they start to teach a church. They said, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay, with that one statement, unless you, are a, uh, you have a strong foundation in Old Testament scripture, whenever that gets thrown up, the word circumcision gets thrown up, it's like, Oh, geez, what's going on here, right? And I, I don't understand why, what's the big deal about this, and why does it have anything to do with anything with God? And I was trying to find a way, without reading tons of scripture to you, um, and I'm going to read a little section that's in a commentary section uh, in one of my study Bibles that I was able to find that I think will give us some more enlightenment on the purpose of that. It says this, uh, circumcision was widely practiced in the ancient Near East. For Jews, it had a religious significance as the sign of the covenant of God had established with people of Israel. It was normally performed on the eighth day of a male's infant life. And then it says this, circumcision became a metaphor for the renewal of a person's relationship with God. So it is symbolic, it's a tradition, it is an expectation, and it's a checking of the box that if you want to be right with God, you've got to essentially have proof of it um, through the action of circumcision. 
Okay, that is, what they're, that is one of the core principles that the Jews are trying to preach and push on the Gentiles. But we see that the understanding that all this comes together is all about what we have to do to be right with God and not about what Jesus did to make us right with God. We have to shift our focus from checking boxes to submitting to God, to submitting to Jesus. Let's go into this a little bit, all right? So while Paul and Barnabas are passionately sharing their stories about what they did, uh, that what they experienced on all, on all these stops along their journey that they've just made and they came back to the town, they're, they're excited seeing change happen in the word on fire in these cities. These people show up. They're Paul and Barnabas are talking about the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ and how it can change everything about you. And then these men come in and are concerned about whether or not a man is circumcised in order to identify them as Christians. You think about the complexity of this. It is a simple little act that they're so focused on versus the truth and the word of life. So we can, we can get a sense here that the concerns that the Jews may have, because these people, and I say this uh, in a way that, that they're putting them down, but that's all they've ever known. If we put ourselves in the, in the shoes of the Jewish people, that, that's all they've ever known. And for someone to come in and say, all these things that you've been working on your whole life, to get right with God, to make things right with God, that has been fulfilled. You don't have to do those things. But yes, but, no buts. No buts. This has been done. The test that is brought to them now, Paul and Barnabas now have this giant that they have to face, and that's the giant of tradition. The circumcision gets thrown in there. The simple rules that the Jews had to follow, like you could only walk so far on a Sunday, right? You could only do so many, you, you, could, uh, you had to wash your hands this exact way in order for you to be clean. What? Is this going to keep me from heaven? Is this going to ruin my relationship with God? And that is where um, the, the Jews fully were enthralled with the, 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 uh, the belief that that is what had to happen. But Paul and Barnabas, this is what they had to face now. The Jewish law. It's not just the Old Testament. The Jewish law is the Old Testament plus all these other embellishments that have happened on it because of what is best practices in our culture, what is the right things that our ancestors have done. So it's Jewish law plus all this other fluff stuff that comes in there that gets so hard to follow. And it wasn't just a list of 15, 20 things. I mean, we're talking hundreds of things that are so hard that every single day you're worried about messing up. And that's not the lifestyle that Jesus wants us to live. So in verse 2, we look at this. So after Paul and Barnabas had engaged in some serious argument and debate, obviously, Paul, somebody disagrees with him, he's going to debate them. That's who he is. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go, to the, go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. 
So the conversation quickly turns to argument. Paul jumps in on it. He's passionate about getting things right. Paul is very passionate about getting things right. Think about his background. He spent most of his life doing wrong. He spent most of his life in the wrong, misunderstanding everything about what his call and what he was supposed to do for God. And now that he has seen the truth and knows the truth, he's going to help everyone else stay away and veer away from doing wrong his entire life. So Paul is passionate about it. And think of the powerful testimony that he has. Think of the testimony. Man, he can stand up and say, look, I was broken and a messed up man, but because of Christ, I am made brand new. And he stands up and he's very passionate about what he says. And his one goal is this. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Remember this. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing on our part. You have to, you, you have to understand what... What he's preaching here, there is no other obligation that grace is freely given to you. Sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do. So nothing we say and nothing we can do can earn us, earn as in a wage, because of this, I deserve this. Nothing we can do makes us deserving of salvation. But that's not what the Old Testament law likes to say. That's not what the Jewish law likes to tell us. And that's not what the Jews are preaching. You've got to do these things, and Jesus is a good, uh, a, a good addition to it. But it's Jesus plus all this other stuff to make you right with God. And Paul's saying, it's Jesus plus nothing, buddy. I'm sorry. But Jesus came to fulfill. Look at what... Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Look how, look how um, uh, 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 Paul's going to tell us here. Starting in verse 2, or starting in verse 8 of chapter 2, it says this. It says, For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. By grace through faith. Not of yourselves. There's nothing you have done. So don't get all prideful. Don't say, I, I came so far in my life. It's all in what Christ has done for us. By grace through faith, and this is not of yourself, but it is a gift. It is an undeserved gift from God. Remember the gift. It is a gift we've been given. Not from our works, so that no one can boast. That's blunt, and that's in our faith. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece, is what other translations would say. We are created in Jesus for good works. Not, not because of our good works, but because of Jesus and our salvation, faith comes and then works follow because we love Christ so much that we want the world to see. It's not something we earn, which God prepared for us ahead of time to do so. And then in verse 11, he says, so, look what he says here, and it addressed the uh, circumcision. So this is a, a great, a great uh, scripture to jump back at. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those who call the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of 
promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been bought or brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups uh, one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed the regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two resulting in peace. There's no division, Jew and Gentile. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God and one body through the cross, which he put hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So it's for everyone, circumcision, out the window, all these laws and duties that we try to follow, that is past because he came, he fulfilled the law. He was the fulfillment of law. And we're going to see that in Matthew 5.17. It says, don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Instead, I came to fulfill the law. See, Jesus knew all those expectations. He said, oh, they're all gone. No, I said, I've fulfilled that. All those expectations and things that you had to do, I did on your behalf. Now, I came as a fulfillment of that law. So in verse 4, when they arrived to Jerusalem, when they got to where they were sent to, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. So think of this context. We had Jews in Antioch, a a heavily Gentile area, and they were mad at them, right? We had had these Jews getting in there and saying, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is wrong. But when Paul and Barnabas make it to this Jewish area and a heavily Jewish church, now the Jews have welcomed them. So what we're seeing here is that that Jewish group of people that were there saying, you got to do this stuff right. That was a small little sample size of the Jewish church. Usually it's the squeaky wheel that you hear the loudest right and you've got to address. But actually, the Jewish church, this is good news. Because they are now accepting and embracing the fact that, hey, it's Jesus plus nothing. There's a huge majority that are embracing the truth of that. So they understood and they believed. That Jesus is the way. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He completed the law. So what's he saying there? He's saying all these external obligations. So listen, if you're here today and you're saying, man, I can't wait to get my life right with Christ, but man, I I, got to get all this stuff lined out right. My life's just not ready. I've got so much going on right now. It's just not a good time. But when things settle... I'll get back in church. When things settle, I'll start to serve God more. I'll start to do things for others more. I'll have a better relationship with God. But right now, I've got to do this. You see how selfish that sounds? That is so selfish because it's a right now thing that Christ is saying, hey, in this very moment with your brokenness, with your shamefulness, with your undeserving life that you feel like you have, that's why I died. Because I know you're not going to get right. I know things aren't going to get better. There isn't going to be a better time than right now because we're broken, and that's 
who we are. There are no external obligations that we have to fulfill to become saved and to remain saved. There are, there is Jesus, it's Jesus plus nothing. We've got to continue to remember that. God, I'm so sorry, I just, I, I can't do this. I'm not good enough for you. No one is. This is the thing, is we think that we are, a, we, we are in a world, in a society, that everything we do, we have to work for it. Everything we do, we have to earn it. That's why Jesus is so counterintuitive to everything we as humans understand. Because it's Jesus that has given us the gift of salvation. So today I want you to, uh, if we can step back from our lives and say, okay, all this chaos and noise that is in my life, Father, I want to take my focus off of that because I know that my salvation is because of you and not anything that I can do to earn it. So today I want to encourage you and challenge you to step into that. Because in Galatians 5, 6, it says this, it says, for Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. Actions or lack of actions, checking boxes or doing things that we feel like is the right thing to do accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. So as the worship team comes up, what matters in our life is not, I want everybody to think I'm a better Christian because I'm doing this, and when there's a need in the church, I'm stepping up to help. And, and, and I think those things make me look better as a Christian. And ultimately, I might be a better Christian because of it. No. You see, that's where we have to flip it. Instead, it's because I love God's church so much. My relationship is so strong with Christ. I want to find ways that I can love others as he loved me. It's a because of. It's a because of. Because of Jesus. Because of my faith. Because he loved me so much, I want to share that with the world. And now we're all about love right now, and that's what our society is focused on uh, because of Valentine's Day. But let's shift our focus and think about what true love is. That Jesus loved us so much that while we were still sinners, in this moment right now, and in that moment 10 years ago, in your worst moment in your life, where you felt the least worthy of anyone's love, you felt the least worthy of anyone's affection, that you probably wanted to step back and consider your existence at all, that God loves you right in that moment. That's when he chose to die for you. I love this person, this masterpiece that we have created. I want to die so that they may live. So he gave his life on our behalf. That we don't have to earn it. We don't have to do anything. We just have to give up and submit and say, yeah. God, I love you. And I give my life to you. And I want to be, I want to be the Christian, the person you call me to be. May my heart be focused on you and no one else's. We take that posture, we take that stance, we commit our lives to Christ. That's salvation. And then we trust 
Jesus along the journey. The ups and downs we trust. But we know that we're holding the hand of the one that loves us far greater than anything this world could offer. That is true love. But we have to trust. We have to trust that that hand we're holding is going to lead us on a path to salvation. And that's the promise we have as Christians, that that will happen. So today, church, let's all stand. Let's worship together. Let's lift him up because there is victory in the name of Jesus Christ. And only through that name can we be saved. Let's worship together.